Why is there such a shortage of PPE in the UK? And is there a local manufacturing solution to the problem? That's what we're going to be talking about on today's episode. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips for making in the UK. So let's crack on with the show. Welcome to episode 114 of the Make It British podcast. So I'm really sorry, but I missed an episode last week for the first time ever, I think, since I started this podcast 114 episodes ago. Did I not put out a podcast one week? Even when I was on holiday last year without a microphone, um, I managed to get a podcast out. But Funny old times, as people keep saying. And the subject I'm going to be talking about today is something that is moving very, very quickly. And I wasn't in a position last week to actually put out a podcast on this subject that I thought was going to be comprehensive enough and to explain enough about where we are with this situation. So that's my my reason. I'm really sorry for those of you who tuned in on a Tuesday, like you normally do, thinking, where's the Make It British podcast? I'm going to listen to it today. Thank you to everyone that does do that and listens and downloads on the day that the podcast first goes out. I'm here back again today and I'm going to talk to you all about PPE. Now, that's an acronym that I bet many people didn't know what that stood for only a few days, a few weeks ago. But it's now something we are hearing about all the time in the news. A national shortage of PPE, which stands for Personal Protective Equipment, just in case you weren't already aware. So Personal Protective Equipment is what our frontline medical staff, as well as lots of other people who are fighting fighting the fight against COVID-19. It's what people need to protect themselves from the virus. And so I'm going to cover today a bit of an explanation for those that don't know what PPE is and why I think we've got ourselves into the situation where there is a shortage. What we're trying to do to help solve that issue and what that might mean for the way that we move forward for this on this for the long term, really, and how it might affect supply chains. Because I think the theme for the last few podcasts has been very much about how things are going to change going forward, the massive difference that it's going to make to so many different parts of our life lives, having been through the situation we're all in currently. So PPE. Personal protective equipment. What is it? Well, that's something I have been finding out and I'm sure you all have as well. And it can mean different things to different people. But generally, 
When we're talking about PPE for the NHS, which is where the need is most at the moment, we're talking about masks. So two, there's two different types of masks for a start. There's those that are worn so that the wearer doesn't pass on the virus to others in the area. And then there's all also those masks that are worn by staff that are at the front line of this who are in situations where they're getting a lot of contact with people with the virus and they're known as respirator masks. And I'll come on to a little bit more about the difference of those two masks and why the production of those masks is proving to be quite complex. It also includes protective clothing, so particularly protective gowns, which the NHS staff wear, um, gloves, face shields and visors. And I'm sure you've all seen these horrific pictures on the news of our doctors and nurses kitted up in all this PPE gear with masks on and face shields and and protective protective gowns and gloves. So it's quite it's almost quite scary, isn't it, when you see all this equipment people are wearing and all this thing, all these this PPE, which they need to wear to protect themselves against catching the virus and passing it on to other people that they come into contact with. So why is there a shortage of all this equipment? Well, I'm sure it doesn't take Einstein to work out when you look at the pictures of the people wearing this stuff that it's all disposal, majority of it, apart from scrubs. Um, all of the rest of the PPE equipment that is needed at the moment is disposable. It's single use. So we need a lot of it. The whole world needs tons of it, billions and billions of pieces of PPE. And it probably also doesn't take a genius to work out where all of that product is being sourced from, has been being sourced from over the last few years. And how ironic it is really that so much of the PPE that is produced worldwide is actually made in the country where the virus started. But hey-ho, I'm not here to dwell on that today. What I do want to talk about is why is there such a shortage? So obviously, we need so much of this stuff. It's all single use. Uh, it's There's a finite amount of resources available to make all this product. And the majority of it comes from low-cost countries such as China. And everyone in the whole world is looking for this stuff. This this is the issue. So each country is looking up, looking out for PPE to provide to its own frontline staff for that country. And when this first, when the coronavirus first happened in December 2019, and it was, everyone thought that at that point it wouldn't, it would be localized within China. Um, no one was really worrying about it. I mean, where are we now? We're at the beginning of April. So that was three months, four months ago. And no one was sort of upping their game and buying more PPE. So everyone carried on just sort of buying the same amount of stock that they normally do. And if you bear in mind that the lead times for this sort of stock, so if you're based in the UK and you're buying PPE from China, you've probably got... 12 week or more lead time on it. 
And what the government needed to do was to forward plan how much PPE was likely to be needed and make sure we'd secured that from existing suppliers because the lead time on these imported products was pretty long. That's how we've obviously got into a shortage because you could argue that no one would have predicted quite how much would have been needed and every country is looking for the same stuff. So what has been brilliant is the wartime efforts and the response from so many people who have been stepping up to help out. Everyone wants to help. I've seen some brilliant initiatives from designers that are making scrubs and manufacturers that are switching their production to make to make scrubs as well. I've seen manufacturers that are making visors. I mean, some of the great examples so far that I'd like to highlight, we've seen Phoebe English, Holly Fulton and Bethy, Bethany Williams, three designers who usually show at London Fashion Week, who have created the emergency design network to create scrubs. Emma Willis, shirt manufacturer from Savile Row, she has turned her factory over to making scrubs. Specialised Canvas, who are a company who featured with us on the BBC News, and I'll put links to all of these different initiatives in the show notes so you can have a look at them. And there are many, many more as well. So this is not an exclusive list. It's just an example of some of the ones we've come across. So Specialised Canvas have been making face visors and distributing them to key workers. Fashion Enter, um, a fashion manufacturing company, usually make for people like ASOS in North London. They are now making scrubs. I've even seen the knitting machine manufacturers distributing knitted mask patterns to knitwear factories and creating knitted masks. So there's some really, really wonderful initiatives going on. So many people to offering to help. And at Make It British, we've had a lot of manufacturers that we know getting in contact with us saying, how can we help? How can we help? So what we did and what happened was about four weeks ago, I had a contact who sent me a form that the government were distributing, which was a call out form. They were looking for anyone wanting to help that could make anything other than ventilators. Because at that time, four weeks ago, they'd already put a call out for people that can help make the ventilators. And a consortium was put together to help make those ventilators. So this was a form for everything other than ventilators. And um, it wasn't that specific in what it was looking for, but it was an offer for help. So I sent the form around, as did a lot of other people. Um, British Fashion Council were involved as well. So it went to quite a broad selection of different types of businesses within the fashion industry to help make this PPE. And the logical thing for it to have happened would be for some UK manufacturers who at that point still got their factories open, but could easily switch production to be able to step up and help. And a lot of these manufacturers that I sent the form to filled it in, really keen to hear from the government. Brilliant. We want you to help. This is what you want. we want you to make. And they weren't getting any response at all. They hadn't heard back from anyone despite filling this form in and we were losing time. So 
I approached Tamara Zinzik from Fashion Roundtable, who is um, the secretariat for the all-party parliamentary group for textiles and fashion, very well connected with people in the Cabinet Office, and asked her to do me an introduction to the Cabinet Office, to various members of um, the Cabinet Office who could help speed things along a bit. Because to me, it seemed logical that we've got the manufacturers here. They're willing to help. We have the capability. We own that production in the UK then. We're not relying on importing it from any other country. To me, that just seemed like the logical thing to do. And I soon realised after quite a lot of frustrating conversations that the only way to do this was to bring all the manufacturers together in one under one consortium, the same way as they'd done with the ventilators. Because one thing that is different about the textile industry in the UK compared to maybe some of the other manufacturing sectors that the Cabinet Office at the government are used to dealing with, such as engineering, where they have a lot of big companies, the textile industry is made up a lot of a lot of smaller businesses. And they were never going to find one manufacturer that could deliver all this PPE to them and solve that problem. And unfortunately, that is what the government were looking for when going through all of the thousands. And I I have been told there was 10,000 people that filled in the call-out form that the government sent out. And that doesn't surprise me because I sent it to a 1,000 people, a 1,000 manufacturers, and most of those were keen to help. They'd had 10,000 entries And what they were looking for was one company that could solve all of their PPE problems pretty much. And that just wasn't going to happen. So I had an idea to put a consortium together of the manufacturers that were keen to help. I've called it the British Textile Consortium. And within that consortium, we have a group of manufacturers that can deliver the whole end-to-end supply chain. So the fabric, the cutting, sewing or construction of the products, the um, finishing, the the distribution. Just wanted to be able to hand a UK supply chain solution to the government on a plate and say, there you go. These are the people you need to speak to. Don't worry about filtering through the 10,000 people on your form because you're not going to find them. But this consortium can do it for you. So that was what I've done with the consortium. If we put the consortium together and The aim of that consortium was not only to deliver a a solution to the government of having all the manufacturers there ready to go, but it was also to make sure that they could speak as one group of businesses as a whole and standardise what they're all making. Because what was happening was lots of manufacturers had been approached directly by national health trusts who were asking them for individual products. So they're all cutting their own patterns. And it's just crazy. I mean, that's we're short on time here. We've got to get this product out as soon as we can. Only one company needs to sort out the patterns and, and make that first product. And then all of the rest can be standardised and make the same thing. And one of the other problems that we discovered as well, you see, was that the government, because they'd been buying all these products off the shelf, as it were, through third-party suppliers. And those original products were made in places such as China. 
they had no idea of the spec of these products. How were these garments, for instance, take a gown, how was that gown to be put together? What was the construction? How did they want the seams to be finished? Um, what was the the size? What sizes did they need it in? What 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 was the size spec of the product? We kept saying, just give us the specs, and we will find a manufacturer or manufacturers that can make this for you. There was no sign of these specs, and this is was part of the problem. We were wasting time looking for these specs. So, the obvious thing to do was to get the manufacturers to produce the specs um, themselves. What we also wanted to do was find out how these garments were constructed so that if any special machinery needed to be purchased, that could be done as soon as possible if there wasn't enough of it in the UK. Because one other thing that I've uncovered whilst doing all this, and I've certainly done my research on PPE and the construction of PPE and the technical textiles that go into it all after the last few uh, over the last few weeks one thing that i've discovered is that a lot of it requires very specialist machinery and guess where that machinery is made yes it's made in china of course it is in fact when it comes to the respirator masks and i said i would fill you in on the respirator masks the particular fabric and the filters for the masks and the machines that make the masks and the construction of the masks, because they're moulded. If you've seen them on on the TV, it's like a moulded mask out of a non-woven fabric, which is called a melt-blown fabric if you want to get really techy. Those moulded masks, every single part of those are made in China. The machines are made in China. The fabric's made in China. Um, there is... There are a couple of companies in the UK that do make them, but they're at complete capacity and and trying to get any more of the machines is pretty much impossible. So if we were going to be able to make the gowns here in the UK, we needed to know what was the agreed spec and the finish of the garment so we could make sure that any garment manufacturer that needed to retool, as they say it, to make these was able to get those tools if those tools weren't made in the UK. So the whole thing is really quite a complex supply chain. And I'm quite happy to say this. This is my podcast, so I can be as honest as I want. My discovery so far with working with the government and trying to put this together is that there was no one there working on this project who understood supply chains, particularly textile supply chains. And that has been the most frustrating thing is that they didn't have anyone working on this who understands how this was put together. Now, how's that happened? Well, obviously because they've not been buying anything from the UK. They've been sourcing it all from overseas and they're just buying off-the-shelf products. So they have no knowledge about how these, these systems work, how these supply chains go together. So really frustrating and I have been quite honest with the government in what I see as a complete lack of understanding about how the textile industry really works and not grasping that concept quick enough in order to get this PPE to where it needs to be in in the time that we need it. It's been so frustrating and it's been two steps forward and three back sometimes. It really has, which is why as well 
this podcast didn't go out last week because I think I'm getting somewhere. We get a group of manufacturers together under this consortium. We've been on conference calls together. Everyone's keen to get going. And then there's always something that is a spanner in the works. That means it it's not happening. One of the major stumbling blocks that we have uncovered now is the fact that any personal protective equipment that is supplied into the NHS has to have a certification. It has to pass certain standards, as you would expect. It's protecting people. And if something goes wrong with that product and people die, for instance, because it's not protected them as it was advertised to do, then it is the manufacturer who has to take the responsibility for that. And do any UK manufacturers want to step up and do that and take that risk? Because they're trying to do the right thing, but at the end of the day, it could backfire. So where we're currently at is trying to work out how that is going to work in terms of the certification of the products when there's so many different manufacturers involved. The other thing is that all these manufacturers, they're standing by, they want to be able to help. Once we get over the stumbling blocks and the red tape and the standards and and get all that agreed, they've then got to unfurlough their staff because most of these manufacturers have already got their staff on furlough, which means that they are, the government is, is paying them because there's, there's no work for them in the factory, so they're at home. So there needs to be a commitment for these orders for a certain amount of time, which means the government also needs to know how many of these products they actually need to order. And that's another stumbling block because we don't seem to be able to get a definitive answer of how much is actually needed. And part of that, if you look back on how the NHS has been procuring their products... It's not done like it is in retail. I mean, I know from you know working in big retailers like Marks and Spencers, you have one central buying office and they buy everything for all of the stores. So they know how much stock they've got in each store and they know how much they need to fulfil to each store, depending on how much sells out in each store. You'd kind of think it was the same with the NHS, wouldn't you? One central procurement hub, each hospital has their own products delivered to them and they order again and again from the central hub. So the central hub knows how much is in stock in every hospital. Oh no, doesn't work like that. There are some hospitals that order their own, which is why myself and so many different designers and companies and manufacturers have all had individual NHS trusts and hospitals reaching out to them to try to procure the products directly because that's the way they're used to do it. they're used to doing it. Some of them buy their own, which would be like the Marks and Spencers up the road to me, not calling off their apples from the head office from the distribution centre. It would be like them going up to the farm up the road and buying the apples directly from them. And then the head office doesn't know how many apples that store's got. So it's been the case with the NHS and the stock of PPE. So many of the hospitals doing their own thing and no transparency across all of the hospitals of how much PPE in total the UK has in stock already. So yeah, so that's where we are with that. Now, what I have found really interesting as I've been researching all this is what other countries are doing. And 
it's kind of sad to say that a lot of them seem to be well ahead of where we are, one step ahead in many, many cases. I mean, I've spoken to machinery companies who supply the sorts of machines that would be needed to make the the gowns, the protective gowns, but those machines the majority of them have been already been snapped up by other countries. Other countries are a few weeks ahead of us. They've ordered the machines. And so we don't even have them available, even if it's a UK company. And what's more, a lot of other countries have already been receiving funding from their governments in order to buy machinery needed or materials needed for PPE. And there's been, I mean, there's been talk in the UK about funding for the ventilators, hasn't there? But as of the time of recording this podcast, nothing for the PPE, which is a real shame because you need the machinery to make it and that needs capital investment for these manufacturers in order to switch production to do so. So where we land on that one, I do not, I do not know. And I, I wish everything would hurry along a little bit quicker because otherwise we're going to have missed the boat at all, which is just a real shame. There's also initiatives going on in other countries to encourage innovation when it comes to developing new ideas for PPE. Rather than, well, this is what we've always bought. We always buy these masks because these are the FFP3, which is like the respirator masks. I think we should be looking at alternatives and alternative solutions and sustainable alternative solutions because we have relied too long on imports from China because they're cheap and they're disposable, except now they're not cheap because the prices have been going up because everyone's after the same stuff. And disposable products, I mean, just look at what's happened to plastic straws and plastic cups and things like that. PPE is exactly the same. It's disposable stuff that's filling up landfills. So, Other countries have put forward um, kind of grants and things for innovation. I've just heard about one in the UK that is now available as well. And the call for that is very, very soon. So I will put the link for that in the show notes. And it will be great if some ideas for alternative PPE would come up as part of that and be pushed through really quick. And it would be great if some ideas for innovative PPE would come through as part of that. That is, it is one of the things they've mentioned on the grant and the grant available, it probably won't even touch the sides, but it will help. I think it's up to about £50,000, which would be brilliant because I was listening to a podcast the other day. This is how geeky I've got about PPE. I actually listened to a podcast. Now, again, I'll put the link for this in the show notes called the It was called Emergency Medicine Cases. That's the name of the podcast. And there was an interview with a fascinating lady called Dr. Laurie Mazurik. And she is a PPE specialist. Since the SARS outbreak, which was 20 years ago, she has just concentrated on researching and finding out all about PPE and what is the best. And she said on that podcast that multi-use rather than single-use gowns, were the best thing that doctors and nurses right on the front line dealing with COVID-19 patients could be wearing. So why are we still chasing after disposable options here? The washable and reusable gowns are made of a woven fabric, of which we have a lot more manufacturers in the UK that can make the woven fabric versus the disposable non-woven fabric. 
And we also have companies here that can finish that fabric in all different ways that make that reusable gown suitable. But the issue then comes to the actual administration of how you wash and launder and get all those products back to the hospitals again. And because we've got into this habit of wear once and throw away, I mean, there's a lot of parallels here, isn't there, between fashion these days and the, and what hospitals have been using for PPE. And as we're moving more towards non-disposable fashion, should we also not be looking at that from PPE, especially if one of the world's leading experts on PPE actually recommends that it should be reusable and not disposable. So that's something I feel really strongly about and something I would really like our consortium to try and push through. It is a bit of an uphill struggle. It is does feel at the moment a bit like we're trying to push water uphill. But I am looking at this for the long term. Although there is an there is a need right now for these sorts of products. And it's so sad to have all of these hospitals and trusts getting in touch saying, please, we'll take anything. We're wearing bin bags. Can you recommend a UK manufacturer that can quickly make this PPE for us? I think there are both some short-term and long-term easy wins and UK-made solutions that we could find to this problem. Number one is they need to have someone heading up this project in government who really understands textile supply chains and the skills and the innovation that we have available on our doorstep to make this happen. Number two, they need to have a much clearer idea of what the quantities are of each of these products that they're going to need for the next 12 to 24 months. And that will also depend on what the product's going to be, because if it's going to be a reusable or multi-use product rather than a single-use product, they're going to need a lot less. But they need to know what the products are and they need to agree on that really quickly and think outside the box and not just think about the existing products that they're already importing because it may be that that is just not a long-term solution. Number three, which ties in very closely with number two, is that they really need to get a proper grip on what the construction is for some of these garments. If they if they want to make these gowns out of non-woven fabric, they need to know how they're going to construct those garments, what they're, they're happy with accepting and what machinery is going to be involved to then make them. And what is there something that's not 100% acceptable, but that is nearly acceptable, which does a good enough job and is better than nothing or better than bin bags, but that we can produce in much bigger quantities than the perfect solution that we can't actually get. Number four is that they need to have a really good call out for innovative new products. They have got this grant available. I haven't seen it widely advertised. Maybe they will be promoting it more and mentioning it more by the time this podcast goes out in a few days time really need to make that really clear that they're looking for innovative ideas and that's a grant available for that. And number five, I strongly believe that they should be looking at multi-use solutions and not just single use as a long-term solution as well. Now, one thing I do think will happen at the end of the day, after all this, it might take us a little bit longer to get to than we would have liked 
But I do think it means that we'll start thinking more, the government will start thinking more about sourcing essential things like this. PPE for the NHS, uniforms for the MOD, all these contracts that used to be made in the UK and then got offshored because the government chased after a cheaper price. I really do hope that they'll start committing now more to UK manufacturing of these essential products so that we don't get ourselves into this sort of pickle again. Because let's face it, China are probably laughing now. Isn't it ironic that the virus that they actually caused that's now infecting the entire world, the protective equipment that everyone's got used to using is all coming from China. I mean, you couldn't actually make it up if you tried, could you? But there will be a positive outcome out of all this. I know there will. We've just got to hang in there. Um, It's frustrating at the moment, but I do think we will eventually get there and it will be for the better. So thank you very much for listening to me ranting on a bit today. You can tell I feel very, very strongly about this PPE situation. It is heartbreaking to hear of all these doctors and nurses trying to save lives and not having the equipment that they need and knowing that we can make it in the UK and it not happening quick enough. Thank you very much for listening. There's a lot of links in the show notes for this podcast, which you'll find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash 114. All the things I've mentioned, lots of research I've been doing on PPE. If you want any further reading, I'll pop it all in the show notes for you. Thanks for listening and I'll speak to you next week. Bye. Since recording this podcast, I have had even more NHS trusts and care homes and other key workers contacting me saying we still haven't got enough PPE equipment from the government. And I've also had a lot of manufacturers who said that they've continuously filled in the government form. They've tried to contact the government. No one is getting back to them and they are standing by ready to help. So I've decided the best thing to do at this current point in time, which is why I'm adding this little bit on at the end of the podcast, is to make the list of manufacturers that are keen to help make PPE available directly on our British Textile Consortium website. So if you're looking for PPE, you can go to that website, you can find the list of manufacturers that are willing to help and you can contact them directly and ask them to help you manufacture PPE because I am just fed up with waiting for the government to get around to do something. So I'll put the link to the show in the show notes and you'll be able to get in touch with manufacturers directly that can help you manufacture PPE. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.